HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Did you know that you can stream The French Chef with Julia Child on the PBS Documentaries Prime video channel? See where America's obsession with cooking shows began and start your free trial today. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we're celebrating Julia's birthday. And as we've done in the past, we're sharing some of our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons. Stay with us to join the party. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Another year has gone by, and we're celebrating Julia's birthday with some of our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons. Julia would have been 110 on August 15, 2022. Over the last year, we have been lucky to have so many accomplished guests on the show, many of whom even knew Julia. As a result, there has been a wealth of wonderful Julia moments. Too many great ones to squeeze into just one episode. So, for the first time, after bringing you many double Julia moments, we're bringing you a double Happy Birthday Julia episode. Our first part features a collection of Julia moments which reflect the joy and inspiration Julia brings to so many and speaks to her impact as a talented writer. Part two highlights Julia's impact as a teacher and concludes with stories about Julia's warmth and hospitality. So sit back, relax, and join our esteemed guests as they reflect on Julia's personal impact. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really 
you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. No, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? As always, we listen to Julia's immortal words to introduce our Julia moment, our favorites from the past year. As loyal listeners know, at the end of every episode of Inside Julia's Kitchen, we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. Our first Julia moment comes from episode 146. Tartine Bakery co-founder Chad Robertson tells us how Julia inspired him to tackle challenges knowing he could fail, but that self-belief would help him accomplish his goals in the end. Chad, what's your Julia moment? You know, um, I, I love this. I love this question. I love it, this thought exercise. And <laughs> you know, I, I I met Julia once when I was in culinary school, and she was lovely. And I and I remember she was just tall, and it was you know she was very imposing and and very kind. Um, but my, I mean, I would say she had a huge influence in that. You know, French food in 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 America and you know, I think she educated a lot of the non-French, you know, world about this kind of, about this food. You know, it, it was something that was seen as mysterious and, you know, you know, sort of unattainable, but just incredible and kind of magic in a way like, wow, how do they make this, how do they make this stuff taste this good? You know, even in Scandinavia, like a lot of the TV chefs in, in the eighties, um, you know, were making French food. It's, it was, it was what everyone was making. And, you know, but again, it was it was sort of magic. You could go to a restaurant, or you could you'd see on, you know on these shows or whatever. But no one knew how to make this stuff. And as opposed to dumbing it down, Julia really you know was very 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 detailed and 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 thorough and extensive and educating and making making this stuff that was formerly you know sort of invisible or hidden or for sure super secretive. Um, recipes and you know we've all seen the movie Ratatouille I mean you know it's very the French kitchens were very very secretive and you know she she started to to educate and teach people and empower people to to dive in and try to make some of this stuff and and again when, when I started learning to make bread and 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 I had the same experience as Jen for my first bread job I was I was cooking I was studying to be a chef and I was I was working in kitchens but I hadn't ever tasted bread until I walked into this bakery on a, on a day off and someone had told me to go check it out and I'd smelled the bread and I smelled the sourdough in the barn. And, and I'm like, I, I need to learn how to do this. Nobody, hardly anyone knows how to do this. Like I should learn how to do this. And it took a while and I got my job, but um, I guess it's just the inspiration from Julia to really, you know, try with everything I've got to, to illuminate this stuff and educate and empower people to, to make this mysterious, magical, invisible thing at home. And um, because that's what it was for us. And I'm sure that's what it was for Jen. And she, when she thought I got to learn how to make this the first time you make a good loaf of bread at home, you know, it, it and, and I hear the same, I, I hear different versions articulated from, from hundreds of people over the years, like, wow, I never thought I could make 
that kind of bread in my house, you know? And most people don't want to do it every day or, or every week. They kind of knock it out and they're like, all right, I did that. I see how it works. I don't need to do this all the time. But it's, it's very empowering. And I, and I think uh, that, that sort of desire to, to educate and empower um, really came from, from Julia and, and another one of her contemporaries, Jacques Pepin, who was, who was pretty serious about you know, showing people step-by-step step everything to do as Julia did. And um, that's my Julia inspiration. Huge one. I love it. You couldn't see that I was smiling through that, that whole uh, part. So thank you for that. Our next inspiring Julia moment is an extraordinary memory from Chef Sandy D'Amato, who in episode 135 told us about his adventures with Julia in the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. And I'm not kidding. It's an unforgettable story. All right, Sandy, what's your Julia moment? Well, um, back in uh, 1990, we had uh, we had just opened our restaurant in in Milwaukee um, about six months before, and uh, we were starting a chapter of uh, AIWF, which is the American Institute of Wine and Food, in in Milwaukee, and I was one of the founders of the chapter. So. Um, as we were doing the opening, we had uh, Julia came out for four days, so we had her for four days in in was uh, in Milwaukee to take her around the state and show her around, and she had um, she had a lot of ideas of where she wanted to go, and one of the main things she wanted to do was she wanted to go to uh, to a veal farm. Oh, and I thought you were going to say beer factory, but just for no, clarification, you said veal farm. A veal farm. <laughs> okay. And the reason she wanted to go was because at that time she had been uh, getting a lot of flack from PETA about uh, about using veal. And mm, she kind mm. of wanted to stick it to him that um, there's, you know, with humanely raised veal, you can you can do this. So she wanted to go there and she wanted us to advertise it that she was that we were taking her there. And uh, we didn't advertise that we were taking there. But anyway, Provimi Veal, which was one of the largest veal producers at that time, uh, took had a small little private jet that they flew us up to the to the veal farm. And um, so on the we went up there and we went through the whole veal farm and she saw everything. On the way back, we were flying into the Waukesha County Airport and. Um, there was a woman that was traveling with Julia. It was uh, Gabrielle Sayer. And uh, Gabrielle looks out the window and she calls me over to the window. She says, Sandy, she says, come here. And I walked over and she said, what is that down there? And I looked down and I said, that's the Wienermobile. That's the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. They sent it, they sent it to take us back to Milwaukee from the <laughs> airport. And Gabrielle looks at me and she says, I don't think so. And I'm immediately crushed because when I was five years old, I used to work in my father's grocery store where a restaurant was. And the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile used to come around to all the local restaurants and um, and just to promote their products. And so I was looking out the window when I was five and, and the Wienermobile pulled up in front of our, our restaurant, I mean, sorry, the store, the grocery store, the kind of the door flips up and out walks little Oscar with this, with this mustache and big floppy hat. And I, I like freaked out. I got scared. And I went in back in the back room of the store and cried. My sister went out and all the kids in the neighborhood got to go into the Wienermobile and I had missed my chance. 
And so here's another chance. And Julia looks out the window and she says, I think I'd like a ride in that wiener bus. And it was like, I'm thinking, Julia, where have you been all my life? So what what commenced from there was one of the most surreal things of my life. We're driving down I-94. I'm in the Wienermobile with uh, with Gabrielle and with Julia. Uh, we all have our Wiener whistles uh, playing, and they're playing over loudspeakers. You know, I wish I was an Oscar Mayer Wiener. And, and we're playing along. Cars are beeping. And we pull up to the hotel. And as we pull up to the hotel, there's already like a Wiener curious crowd that has gathered because it's the Wienermobile. And this door pulls up and outstrides Julia Child. And if you could have seen the look on people's faces as she walked out. And um, it was just from that whole weekend, the last weekend of, of that night, we had a dinner at, uh, at our restaurant for the closing and the celebration. And uh, Julia was uh, there. And at the end of the night, um, she was waiting outside for uh, a valet car to, to pick her up. And in the meantime, I mean, for the four days, we had taken her to all these different places and a cheese uh, places and uh, everywhere where she wanted to go. And she had met hundreds of people. And the first night that we were, that we took her out, Angie, uh, my wife was sitting next to her and had, she was asking her about her family. And she said, yeah, well, my, my mother um, and brother have a restaurant over on the West side and we've had our restaurant. We just opened up and, you know, just kind of telling her a little history. So that last night, four days later, she um, was sitting out waiting for her uh, car and Angie's mother happened to be at the dinner and she went up and she introduced herself to Julie and she said, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Angie's mother. I just wanted to uh, say hello. And she says, oh, she says, you have that restaurant over on the west side. How is that doing? This was after four days of meeting hundreds of people, but but that was traveling with her, that was the way that she was, that she just, she listened to everyone and she really, um, she really connected with people. She always asked the question. It was, to me, it was like uh, Chris Farley when he was on Saturday Night Live. You know, she'd ask a question and you'd sit there and say, God, why didn't I, that's, I should have asked that question. That's such a great question. <laughs> she always knew the right question to ask. And what she did for French food in the 60s and 70s, she did for American food and American chefs in the in the 80s and 90s. I mean, she systematically um, had all these chefs come together and uh, did different. You know, she had her 80th birthday, which I got to which I got to cook for, and she had you know Julia with master chefs and, and went through all these American chefs, and um, she was so instrumental. In, in my career, I, I owe a, a huge debt of gratitude as, as so many other American chefs do for, for what she, for what she did for us. Well, Sandy, thank you so much for that moment. And I, I think that that's pretty award-winning that you managed to work, work into your Julia moment, the, the term, uh, wiener curious, uh, and <laughs> also that vivid image of landing in a private jet and Julia getting in the Wienermobile. That is classic. And, and then you brought Chris Farley into it too. So that, that, that is stupendous. So thank you for that. And Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Our next Julia moment is from the winner of Food Network's The Julia Child Challenge, Jaini Mikhevich. 
In episode 162, Jaini talks about how Julia's influence was truly life-changing. Jaini, I'm curious what you're going to say. You've already told us many Julia moments. What's your official Julia moment? Well, you know, I have a lot of Julia moments for sure. Um, winning the show was actually, I think, the biggest of them because it was just so emotional. But I have another story that I, I never shared, but I would love to. Please. So when yeah. I was, um, I finally, you know, decided that I wanted to stay in the U.S. And then I applied for this whole immigration thing. And then it took me like two and a half to three years to finally get a green card, right? Because this is a whole other story. But then um, Doug and I were moving to California and then we stopped at the Smithsonian to see Julia's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I remember they were closing for two weeks the whole food section of the museum because they would do some renovations and I couldn't find any tickets, so I had to call them like three times a day. Please, 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 let me stop there. I want to see Julia's Kitchen. And then it worked out. And was this in between when you'd done the show, but it was still a secret? Yeah, No, I haven't. I was still auditioning. This was on your way to California to do the taping. Yeah, so I was still auditioning for the show. That was the po- There was the possibility for me to be on the show, but there was a detail to it. I need to have a green card, you know, uh-huh. because it was a requirement for me to be on the show. And I had a work permit so far, but I did not have a green card and I could not travel with a work permit. So I didn't know what was the what was the prize, but I knew about this requirement that I would need a green card. Oh, that's right, because they didn't reveal the Cordon Bleu prize until the first day you were there. Yeah, no, they did not. I did not know about that. So there was this. I wanted to be on the show, and then I I didn't know if that would be possible because my lawyer said, well, it might take more eight to ten months for you to get a green card. So you know you cannot do this without it. And they said, well, that's okay. I'm just going to arrive in California and see how things go. <laughs> and then we stopped at the, this kitchen. And, you know, I was just trying to to channel that spirit of um, really fe- feeling grateful for how far I have come so far. Because I was in the Amazon a few years ago dreaming about this day where I could do this. And then I was finally there. And I just felt so grateful and, and so enthusiastic about the future somehow and Doug and I were talking like, and we were talking like we're, if we were talking with Julia. And then we both said, Julia, if you think I should be on the show, <laughs> I think you have to help me with this green card thing. And then we both laughed. And then t- Todd, this gives me goosebumps. And, and I hope people don't believe, don't think I'm making this up. But I got my green card the next day. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I have goosebumps, but I believe it. And I have to say, so you're saying you and Doug visited the installation of the kitchen at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. And while you were there, you made this wish together? Yes, we made this wish together because we had Like in front of the kitchen installation. In front of the kitchen, yes. Because it's impossible for you to be there and not feel like Julia is there. It's her kitchen. <laughs> no, and that's so fat. I have goosebumps again because I always say when you're there, it feels like a shrine. It feels slightly religious. And yeah. the fact that like you guys went there like a wishing well and your wish was granted. I was like, you can't make this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I know. And then it was so funny because the whole thing, I had to go through um, interviews, immigration interviews, 
to get a green card approved. So I had to be working already in order to get to the interview point. Then they would grant me a green card. But because of the pandemic, they changed things a bit and they were um, granting people green, green cards without interviews. So that was the reason mine was so quick. And then when I called my lawyers, I said, well, I got an email this morning saying that I got a green card, but, you know, it's not the right timing. And then she explained, but she said, you know, it sounds like a miracle to me. <laughs> I'm like, well, it sounds like a miracle to me, too. <laughs> so that was, you know, I don't know if it was Julia, if it was not, but I want to believe she was there and I want to believe she was happy with the path I was following. And, and I just try to think of her whenever I want some advice, even during the show, you know, in my mind, I was like, what would Julia do? And then I think somehow the universe helped me in that way. Well, I think your whole story is so inspiring, and it, it's the parallels of how Julia's story inspired you and how I really hope that your story will also um, inspire others. And I can't wait to follow your journey. I, it's only the sky's the limit, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. I'm, I'm really – the only thing that lives in me right now is gratitude to – everyone and everything that happened to me you know it's been a long journey but a really fun one and that's the main thing in my life I just want things to be fun and easy and light because that there really there is really why we are here you know to enjoy this this little time we have and for things to be delicious I'm sure you're that. <laughs> exactly and to, for us to eat a lot for us <laughs> to enjoy the pleasures of the table exactly We'll be right back with more Julia moments you don't want to miss. Did you know that you can stream The French Chef with Julia Child on the PBS Documentaries Prime video channel? Start your free trial today and see where America's obsession with cooking shows began, with one spirited woman who made French cuisine a spectator sport and forever changed the way we cook, eat, and think about food. In addition to the French chef, the PBS Documentaries Prime Video Channel features a vast library of high-quality, thought-provoking, factual programs for curious viewers all from America's trusted home for documentaries, PBS. Welcome back. Today we're celebrating what would have been Julia's 110th birthday. In the first of two parts, featuring some of our favorite Julia moments from our last few seasons. The next Julia moments showcase how Julia's talent for writing has influenced our guests' own work. In episode 145, Philadelphia Inquirer food editor Jamila Robinson recalls that one of Julia's cookbooks taught her a lasting lesson in how to write a great recipe. Jamila, what's your Julia moment? Well, you know, I did not w watch Julia Child. Um, I'm a little bit too young <laughs> for Julia Child. And, um, and I grew up in Michigan and watched a lot of Canadian television. So I really didn't have a relationship with Julia Child until I was well into my 20s. And I got my first Julia Child book, and I have it here. 
um, with me, and it is from Julia's Kitchen. And I found it in um, just a, a bookstore, and it's got a discount sticker. And I realized that I didn't have a book by Julia Child. And even though I um, was uh, a design editor for the food section at the time, I didn't have a Julia Child book, and so I bought one. And it's tattered now. And, um, and some of the pages are slipping out because I've used it so much. But one of the things that I love about this book and, um, and Julia Child's writing um, is the way that she wrote recipes in this very um, diligent and explanatory way. Every head note is telling you not only what you're cooking, but why you are using these techniques. Um, fries need two frying, she says, um, one to dry and one to crisp. So it's not just, okay, here's how you make fries, <laughs> but here's why you are doing these techniques. And it reminded me a lot of how my grandmother talked about recipes and why, okay, we have, I'm going to teach you to make custard. And, um, and this is why it needs to slide off the back of the spoon, which is an, an instruction in the Julia Child book. Um, uh, the pastry should hold its shape when lifted. If it cannot form, it will not bake properly. And that is something that I use when I'm writing recipes. I think about these kinds of steps whenever I have to write or edit recipes. Does it demystify something? It's For me, it's not enough just to tell people, here are the steps, here's the ingredients, but here's why you need to keep that pastry cold. This is the science that's going to happen. And so much of that is, is in all of Julia Child's head notes. And, and I didn't really realize how much that affected me until I really started to think about, oh, yes, this is how I write recipes. I write recipes because I read this book from cover to cover, and I've used so many recipes that they're slipping out of, they're slipping out of its binding now um, because I want people to have the same sort of joy and, um, and understanding of here you can make something delicious and you can make it beautiful. And if it doesn't come out perfectly, that's okay. You'll just keep on making it again. Um, and I've made so many of these recipes because I really understood the notes. And I think she's left us a treasure um, of helping to understand how to, um, how, to sh- how to continue to share recipes with others. I just feel like Julia would have the biggest smile on her face listening to that because I think you've you've hit on exactly what led her to her career, which was she felt for herself she needed to understand the why of things to really learn it, and that that was exactly the intention she set out in in when she started that she wasn't seeing out there. And I think it's even captured in some upcoming stuff of arguments she had with Simka because Simka didn't initially go to that place, and Julia would work with her to be like, no, but why do you need to do it that way? You have to explain it, otherwise it just why would someone follow it? So that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Todd. It has been such a joy and a pleasure. It is, again, it is a thrill um, to to be anywhere near the light of Julia Child. Um, She's had so much impact in the way that we work and the way that we cook. and, um, And it is so exciting to be part of it. Back to our double Julia moment in episode 146, where Jen Latham, who worked with Chad Robertson at Tartine Bakery, tells us about how Julia's memoir, My Life in France, inspired her own desire to write. 
Jen, are are you do you have one that competes with chance? Yeah, I mean, when when you sent me that prompt, the first thing that came to mind was reading My Life in France because I found that book sitting on the coffee table at a friend's house and just picked it up and thankfully she let me take it home. Um, before I found that book, I think I knew who Julia Child was and I had an idea, okay, she's you know this brilliant chef and, and brought French cooking into so many people's homes. And I had this kind of like, I want to say like one dimensional, yeah, yeah, I know who Julia Child is. But reading that book really, it just really came to life for me. And as somebody who's always loved to write, you know, that, that book brought so much dimension to her. And I realized, you know, there's a love story and there's the traveling and all the character kind of quirks and, and that just really rich voice. Um, I think food writing is something that a lot of people try to do and very few people do really well, but when it's done really well, it just brings all of the everything around eating and cooking to life. There's so such a rich story and it's such a part of, which I was saying a minute ago about a lot of people maybe bake this once and or a couple times or every few weeks. But I think if you, if you really weave that baking into your daily life, you know, like I'm home a lot these days and I'll, I'll mix bread and then I'll go for a bike ride with the kids and then I'll come back and give it a turn and then go do some gardening and you can really weave it into your everyday life. And I think reading that book for me, really made me it just brought to life how much like cooking for her and I think for so many of us is just a part of this much bigger story of who we are in our lives and you know our families and our loves and I <laughs> lost my earbud there. I was just exciting so much I lost my earbud. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. No, I think I think that's lovely and I and I love that you called out that um voice and, and Julia's ability as a communicator, as a writer, that she was really talented. And I think that gets lost a little bit in some of the the other things that Julia is known for, that that was one of the reasons she was so effective. She, she was a beautiful writer and she was a very distinctive writer. She had a very distinctive style. It's very recognizable. And you see it that if, if you look at her correspondence too, her correspondence is both in that style and generally it is wildly more entertaining to read her correspondence than the average person's correspondence. So um, thank you for calling that out. I appreciate it. Sure. It's, it's a good memory. Our last Julia moment for part one comes from episode 150 with mixologist and restaurateur Sinjin Frizzell from Brooklyn's Gage and Tolner Restaurant. Sinjin talks about how Julia was his gateway drug to food writing. Sinjin, what's your Julia moment? So, I, you know, I was an English major in school. I went to uh, Tulane in uh, New Orleans. And Julia Child, to me, I knew about her, but... Um, you know, I knew her as someone that my grandmother used to watch on television um, mm -hmm. and was aware of her, but, but that's it. I started to, um, to date this young woman who, uh, it turned out, had a cookbook collection. She had, um, you know, hundreds of old uh, cookbooks at her house. And I remember one of the first ones I pulled off the shelf was, was a first edition of Mastering the Art of French Cooking, Volume 1 and 2. And just the to hold that in your hands, it feels it's the I'm sure you know it. It's the you know the old edition with sort of the pattern on the front, and it's a very plain cover, and um, 
and it's it was just gorgeous and it, it was you know separated into two volumes which gives it kind of this scholarly heft and i remember mm. cracking that book and thinking oh wow this 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 woman could write this is like a whole mm. it's like a whole world here for me to to explore and then you know reading julia child in that book then led to the writings of mfk fisher who had a huge influence on my life you know elizabeth david and the lewis so it was sort of the the gateway uh drug for me into the world of food writing and uh and after that i was hooked i'm still i'm still hooked I think you're the first person who's used gateway drug in their joy. <laughs> so <laughs> points points for a new approach. But no, I think that's also something that doesn't get discussed enough is Julia's talent at writing. Yeah. And um, while she had co-authors, I think since the book was written in English, I think you know the majority of the writing in mastering and certainly in volume two was done by Julia. And then you can read. You know, we're always wrestling with Julia quotes, too, because there's a lot floating out there that we can't attribute to Julia, mm -hmm. we can't source, or actually we're like, that doesn't actually sound... She had a very specific diction and cadence, both how she spoke, but also how she wrote. That That's distinctive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, how mastering the art can be a gateway drug and for joining us today. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This has been a great pleasure. It's our pleasure, and uh, we look forward to having a drink with you at the Sunken Harbor Club. Anytime. That's it for part one of our double Happy Birthday Julia episode, featuring some of our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons. Tune in next week for part two, when we bring you more Julia moments from Antonio Lafazzo, Eric Kim, Tony Tipton Martin, and Lydia Bastianich, among many others. Get in touch, send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org, or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. Let us know what you think about today's show. Even better, share your own Julia moment. If you're not already following us, it's at juliachild on Facebook and at juliachildfoundation on Instagram. It's at juliachildjcf, and I'm at tshulkin on Twitter. The latest from the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience is on sbce.events and at SB Culinary Experience on Instagram. A reminder to please give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at GBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Armin Spengen. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. On the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.